Smartcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I've got a return guest for you this week, uh, Carolyn Stern. Carolyn, thanks for being back with us so quick, I might add. <laughs> well, we, we had so much to talk about, Earl, that I just felt we didn't get it enough uh, time. So I wanted to have the gift of time. I And I agree wholeheartedly. And, uh, you know, with that in mind, listeners, I'm not going to go through Carolyn's uh, bio again because it was just episode 249 that she was on. And I, I have all the faith that you can just go back a few episodes and listen to that. Um, but I really want to hit the ground running. I want to give you kind of a second crack, uh, see if anything has changed in, in the last few weeks. Or uh, maybe you've got a kind of a different take, different angle. Maybe something's happened. Uh, to give you a different perspective, or maybe just want to kind of polish up on on that first question where I start off all of my guests of, you know, when you hear the words responsible leadership, what does that look like to you? Well, it hasn't changed in the way that I still think it's about being an emotionally strong leader, which is what my book is about, right? The emotionally strong leader and inside out journey to transformational leadership. It really is about learning that you can be emotional, which is just means that you feel things deeply and strong, a strong business person, and they're not mutually exclusive. And really what you, I think people, when they think of emotions, uh, they think of weakness, right? Which is one of the reasons I called the book, The Emotionally Strong Leader. But I'm not talking about strong arming your feelings or having a steely resolve not to feel. What I'm talking about is that you realize that you feel things. And being in a responsible leader is your people also feel things. And that to, to be brave enough to talk about what you're feeling, why you're feeling what you're feeling, to label it appropriately, right, and accurately, express it constructive, constructively, professionally and respectfully, and then manage it and regulate it appropriately. And so I really think it is about realizing that our emotions can run amok in the workplace, and it's up to us to be bigger and stronger than those emotions. And same with those of our colleagues, teaching our colleagues and our employees how to be bigger and stronger than their emotions so that they don't run amok in their lives. Mm, I love that. And like, just to make sure you can't see my screen, right? No. 
Okay. Because it was weird that you started off there because uh, since our last conversation, like uh, I, (laughs) this is kind of spooky. And I love that answer. And I love that you went there. And and so to prove that we're on the same wavelength here, like I was going through a lot of stuff in my mind since our last conversation. And, and, you know, my longtime listeners know that I love to go back and I talk about history. And in particular, one of the people I like to talk about uh, is the, the famous uh, Japanese swordsman Miyamoto Musashi. Mm. And his kind of third principle, if you will, was do not, under any circumstances, depend on a partial feeling. Mm. And it was what you were just talking about there. It was, it was you know, don't just you know, like have a feeling and, and not take the time to really emotionally invest in it and understand it. Like, like get into what that is. Why are you feeling this way? Understand it. Like let your emotions, you know, don't try to suppress why you're feeling, understand and live in your emotions and make, make decisions from a place of emotional understanding. And this is a guy who was in the, the, the 1600s, in feudal Japan, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this isn't a new age touchy feely yeah. concept you're talking about. Mm-hmm. No, and I think I think the key is is that it is really about being understanding your emotions. And Mark Brackett, who's the executive director of the Center of Emotional Intelligence at Yale, talks about the ruler technique that he teaches children, which is to recognize your emotions, to understand your emotions, to label your emotions, to express your emotions, and to regulate your emotions. And he's teaching young kids these skills. The problem is you and I, who are a little bit older than these young kids, never learned this in schools. We never learned how to talk about our feelings. We never learned how to tend to our feelings. So it's been the school of life that have had, that has had to teach us this. And, and the key to me, I think, is the first thing that I always ask people, and it's in the book, throughout the book, is what are you feeling? And what is that feeling telling you about you? So, Earl, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you that question. What are you feeling right now um, about your, um, in this moment, what are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so there we go. You, you are putting me on the spot because in, in this very moment, I, I got a lot going on. You know, uh, we're recording in May the, in, in the U.S. This is uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. And being a veteran, you know, the, the suicide epidemic is something that's very uh, dear to my heart. So I've got a lot of emotions about that. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we kind of touched on this a little bit in our last conversation. I was recently diagnosed uh, with, with non-combat related PTSD from incidents from my service. So I've, I've been going through a lot, really kind of dealing with that and coming to grips with that, um, you know, over the last few months. So, you know, can it, it's you put a, a name big... to it, Earl. Can you, so this is, this is the thing. And, and one of the um, resources that we love to give our, our clients is if you go onto our website, we have a free emotions poster that you can do, uh, download. And it's basically 30 pictures of 30 little faces that, will help you kind of, now there are thousands of emotions out there, but it'll let you know, kind of give you at least um, a start or a springboard as to what you're feeling. So I'd love you in this moment, if given all that you're going through right now, and I'm so sorry to hear um, ab- about the troubles you're having right now, yeah. but if you could put a word to it, one word, 
what would that word be right now? It's fear. Okay. And what does that fear tell you about you? Um, well, yeah, a lot. I mean, it, it tells me that, that I, uh, I am human. I am vulnerable. Um, uh, and like everybody else that, that nothing is, nothing is certain in life. Mm-hmm. And remember with all kinds of change, and I just talk about this in one of my courses, right? When, when change happens, whether it's a new boss, a new policy, a global pandemic, People focus on the change, right? They talk about change management. But what they forget is the psychological and emotional response that we go through when dealing with the change. And think about when a change happened, like the pandemic, the first emotion we all felt was loss because we were losing our pre-changed reality. And so I think the important thing to note is your fear might stem from, you know, not knowing, mm-hmm. not knowing what's around the corner um, and wanting that certainty. But really, I think the key is, is that for every emotion, there is a gift. Every emotion has a gift. Let's take um, fe- uh, fear. It actually keeps you protected. Right. Right. Um, shame. It keeps you boundaried. Right. Every emotion has a gift that it provides us if we pay attention to it. Like when I think of shame, if I wasn't boundaried, I might be running around naked in the streets. <laughs> uh, right. But but it, it they all provide a gift if we can take enough time to pay attention to where it's coming from. So one of the exercises I give my clients is what are you feeling? What is that feeling telling you about you? But where did it come from? What triggered that feeling? So many people know when they're triggered, but they don't know what their trigger is. So yeah. for instance, a trigger could be an unmet expectation. A, could, a trigger could be an unrealistic deadline. A trigger could be someone being late. A trigger could be miscommunication. It could be entitlement. Like there are so many triggers out there, but do you know what triggers you? Because once you can name it, then you can tame it. So we need to know before it happens, before we're triggered, what does trigger us? And then um, again, what is a trigger? A trigger is just an emotional experience or response to a person, thing, or situation. So figuring out what triggers us is important. Yeah. Well, yeah, and and I I like that what you just said there, and and touching on it a little bit further you know, how much of that is, is cultural, like whether it is workplace, whether it is our personal lives. I mean, cause you know, you kind of mentioned there, you know, kind of jokingly the, the, the nudity factor, mm-hmm. you know, that is very much kind of a North American puritanical uh, kind of thing, right? You know, there are plenty of places on the globe where, you know, people walking around naked is just as, as normal as yeah. walking around fully clothed, yes. right? If you show up clothed, you're the weirdo, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, so, I mean, and, and I think that is an important piece of, of, of that is, is how much of this is driven by the environment we put ourselves in. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And so much of, of, of what triggers us is about with our lived experience. Right. Something that has happened in our life, what triggers you might not trigger me. 
it's all our lived experience. And, and, you know, I'll just share uh, just the other, uh, a few months ago, I got, I was on a podcast and the woman introduced me as, and again, as you know, with your podcast, you don't do the introductions live with the person in the room. You tend to pre-record those. So I did my recording with her. And then when it went to air, I, I heard my, how she introduced me. And she introduced me as a self-proclaimed expert, emotional intelligence expert. Well, that triggered me. Right. <laughs> because it got me thinking, what makes a legitimate expert? You know, is it a piece of paper that makes me legitimate? Well, there right. is no degree in emotional intelligence. So how do I get that degree? I've spent 20 years researching it. Does that make me legitimate? And it got me thinking about why does it trigger me so much? What, what am I learning about myself? What am I learning about the world? You know, as a university professor, I see who we're graduating and some of these students can't even write a sentence. Are they legitimate? Are they experts in their field once they have a piece of paper? So it got me just thinking, again, that one simple, you know, sentence triggered me, but what a great gift that was because I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about, you know, our society and, you know, what is, what is legitimate? What is an expert? What makes an expert an expert? Is it time? Is it mastering our craft for a, for a long amount of time? Is it a degree? Is it education? Do we have to do education through our school system? Or can you do it on the side of your desk? Is it any less legitimate? You, you bring up so many things with that. So one, I mean, I hope people like listening to that here, like, you know, that right there is, is uh, the, the dangerous power of, of imposter syndrome, right? Because I'm mm -hmm. sure that's where a lot of that came from was imposter syndrome. You hear self uh, self proclaimed and you probably, I mean, you took that as a negative connotation, right? Mm -hmm. uh, of like, Oh, and, and, but and it was, it's a conversation I've had like two or three times in the past week of, of, you know, what, what gives legitimacy. And then mm -hmm. I won't, I won't say the individual's name, but you know, it, because he's very, very well known, but there's uh, a person who makes a lot of money by certifying people to teach his material. And I recently had somebody reach out to me because they, they knew I wanted to get my speaking uh, side of my, my business kind of ramped up. And they're like, oh, well, you should go through such and such a certification program. You get the shiny little gold emblem and they send you referrals and all this good stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, how much? And they told me how many thousands of dollars they spent. And I said, you know, but who certified him? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and, and like they give me this bright eyed look like, I don't know. Right. It's like nobody certified this person to certify other people. Mm -hmm. So why am I going to give them the, that money? Like what is the legitimacy behind that? Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So it's, it, it, and, and it, it's the whole, like you bring up a, it's, yes, you, it's a good, what, what is legitimacy in, in today's day and age? Right. It's, it's, is it your Instagram followers? Is it your your YouTube views? Is it the, how many papers you've written? What is legitimacy? Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, how I became an emotional intelligence expert is my emotions ran amok in my life for yeah. a good part, half of my life. And I realized I could be a victim of my life or a hero of my life. 
And I decided I wanted to be the hero in my life. And I thought, well, rather than continuing to let my emotions run amok, what can I study about emotions and how I can manage my emotions and not let them run amok? And that's what I did for 20 years. And then as an instructor, as a university professor, I could see the damage we were doing in our education system. We focused so much on IQ and not enough on EQ. And, you know, your IQ might get you the job and get your foot in the door, but it's your EQ that's going to get you promoted. Because guess what? When you are a leader, you are managing people and people are creatures of emotion. So unless you know how to deal with your emotions or the emotions of others, you're not going to do very well in leadership. And so to me, again, if we go back to responsible leader, being responsible means talking about the scary things that people are all scared to talk about. You know, I think nowadays with with you know, I don't know why we're so worried about um, triggers and being emotionally. I, it kind of goes back to why I wrote the book. The reason I wrote The Emotionally Strong Leader is because I was sick and tired of people being afraid of emotions. Emotions are just that. Uh, feelings. They're not right or wrong, good or bad. They're transient. They come and go. They're subjective. They're not always factual. They hurt like hell. And they can come at the most inopportune times. Um but they provide us a gift and it reminded me of, you know, why are we so afraid of being triggered? Because we don't know how to deal with how to be triggered. Um, and, but what to me a trigger is, is it teaches me stuff about me in the world and it teaches me, you know, my relationship with that stuff. And so I think the challenges nowadays is everyone's trying to cancel you out. If you say something that, that someone finds triggering, then you're counseled out rather than having the conversation and saying, Hey, Carolyn, you said something that triggers me. Well then right. tell me about that. Because again, I'm not the, you are not the standard to which everything is judged and I do not know your lived experience. So how can I know if something triggers you yes. unless you tell me and then educate me. And I'll never forget. I had a training program once that there was um, on the slide. It said the communication model. And someone in the audience was triggered because it didn't say a communication model. It said the communication model. And again, no ill intent didn't mean to say that it was the only one. But to that person, they didn't pay attention to the rest of the class or anything else I had to say because they didn't like one slide on my presentation. Right. What would have been great. And then they gave me feedback at the very end of the conversation now, the good news is I had an opportunity because I was teaching them the next day and I read that their comment and I said, well, thank you so much for sharing that with me. I didn't know. And then, you know, ever since I've changed the slide, but it just got me realizing that if someone could be offended on a, on a, a three letter word um, versus a one letter word, right? How am I going to know what offends everyone? And I think if we could stop being so afraid, I'm not saying intentionally, Earl, let's be clear. I'm not saying intentionally go poke people and trigger them on purpose. But if right. you unintentionally say something that might cause an emotional experience or reaction in someone, what does that teach you about you? What does that teach them about them? And let's have a conversation about it so that we both can learn and grow from it rather than just canceling each other out and never talking to each other again. Yes. Yes. I mean, that is a solid, solid gold. And I think that is the one thing that is missing uh, in a lot of, of corporate cultures is that ability to have that conversation. You know, we, we had, uh, you know, the, the, the difficult conversations 
uh, book was was such a or crucial conversations book was such a craze, and a lot of organizations spend a lot of money uh, buying copies and putting people through the training, but we still don't have that skill set. And and you just nailed it. It was it's training that I've I've given myself before about that is, you know, when somebody does something is like, how do you, how do you handle that situation? And I, I use myself as an example because this happened to me, uh, in boot camp. growing up in Northeast Tennessee, uh, everybody looked like me. And for those of you who haven't seen a picture of me, you know, I'm a white guy with blonde hair, blue eyes, and everybody in my hometown looked exactly like me. I go off to boot camp and all of a sudden I'm surrounded by people who the vast majority don't look like me. You know, all races, colors, creeds, nationalities, ethnic backgrounds, the whole nine yards. I'm, for all intents and purposes, a minority now. Mm. Um, but, you know, I'm going through, we have this thing on Sundays, we call it field day where we're cleaning things. And I'm doing what we did where I come from. I'm whistling Dixie. And there was this kid that, you know, I we chatted a couple of times. He's African-American <laughs> kid. And he says, well, I've never had you pegged as a racist. I go, well, I'm not. And he goes, well, you're whistling a racist song. And so we had a conversation about it. Right. And I made a conscious effort to never whistle that song again. Because he gave me and I didn't I didn't have the emotional uh, maturity at the time to understand at this level what had happened, but I did appreciate it in the moment. He gave me the gift of having that conversation instead of just mentally saying, Oh, Breon's a racist, stay away from him and telling everybody else to stay away from me. He, he gave me a gift of having a conversation, telling me something about myself. And for whatever reason, I had the emotional maturity that I didn't know of at the time to respond by saying thank you and making a change instead of getting offended and saying, you know, go away. I'm not racist. You're reading too much into this and making it a confrontational experience. Mm -hmm. And we both grew from it. And that, and that I think is the point is, can we have these tough conversations, these challenging, these crucial conversations, these difficult conversations. And to me, what emotional intelligence is, is speaking our truth respectfully and professionally. So if for him, his truth was you were not being um, respectful or, or maybe being racist or um, unintentionally or intentionally, the fact that he told you that in a kind way, I mean, Brene Brown talks about clear as kind, unclear as unkind. So being clear, he was clear with you, which was very kind. And yes. um, you responded in kind with being kind. And so to me, I think if we could just have be brave and have these conversations about how people are feeling, whether it's a positive feeling or a negative feeling, um, because, you know, like, let's take the workplace. We're not trying to make everyone always happy all the time and have positive feelings because sometimes you learn a lot from feeling bad. Yeah. Right. If, if and, you know, if you have an employee that isn't performing to your standard and you let them know and they feel bad about it, well, that can be very influential because they don't want to feel bad. So they'll continue, they'll change their behavior so that they won't continue to feel bad. So emotions can be incredibly influential and inspiring, but unless you're brave enough to tell people how you're feeling, um, they'll never know because all they see is what's immediately apparent. They see your communication, what you say or what you don't say. 
Um, they, they, what you do or what you don't do, but they don't know what's underneath the surface. And what I talk about in the book is those inner iceberg conversations. You're, you know, are you talking about your personal beliefs? Are you talking about your feelings? Are you talking about your assumptions, your biases, your, your concerns, your fears, your motivators, your stressors, all of that is why you're saying what you're saying or why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that is a great spot to, to take our uh, commercial break. And uh, let's pick up the conversation on the other side real quick. How does that sound? Perfect. Sounds great. All right. We're going to let those uh, commercials play. And folks, we'll be right back on the other side and continue our conversation with Carolyn Stern. All right, listeners, uh, we have got a lot of great conversation already uh, on the other side of this uh, commercial break, but we've got a lot ahead uh, with Carolyn Stern talking about emotionally strong leadership um, and talking about crucial conversations, uh, critical conversations, the things that are going to make and break an organization, kind of where the, the, uh, our, our, critical conversation left off. Um, and, and I love where we were going with that. And, and this is the one thing that I like to stress with folks. I, I, I really am curious to hear your take on this because how I put it is when, when you say something that, that unintentionally, right. Cause pe- people are fairly decent for the most part are fairly decent at picking up intent, right. They know when you did something on purpose to be offensive, and they know when you slipped up and most people are going to be, uh, unless they have some deep trauma, most people are going to grant you some grace if you handle the situation uh, appropriately, right? You know, like one of the popular things right now is is uh, misgendering, right? If you mess up and you misgender somebody, they're probably going to correct you and then they're going to expect you to take corrective action. Now, it's how you handle that situation, and this, this is how I put it, it's how you handle that situation. Do you get offended and get upset about it, or do you realize what happened? This person, because you, you mentioned it before the commercial break, this person is in a very vulnerable situation because they have, they have been offended, they have been hurt, their feelings are hurt, their emotions are, are damaged right now. But they're taking the step of, of putting themselves to become even more vulnerable to bring this to your attention. And that means that they place a fairly high value on this relationship to put themselves in an even more vulnerable position to say something to you. Right? They're saying, I value our friendship. I value our relationship enough to say, hey, you did this. You created this emotional trauma, if you will, to me. You need to take that kind of serious that this person cares enough about you and the relationship to respond and say, you know, hey, thank you. I really appreciate that and and treat that with the care it deserves. Right. Yeah. So I think this is for receiving feedback for all feedback, positive or constructive. I think you you absolutely should assume a positive intent. You know, you need to put your generous hat on and, and assume that the person's telling you this not to make you feel wrong or, or, um, point out uh, that they're right or you're wrong. 
um, but that they want to see you succeed and they want you to be better. So I think that's the first piece when, when receiving any kind of feedback, especially constructive. The, the second part, I think, is you got to listen carefully and ask for clarification, right? Um, if some kind of something triggered you, um, you know, or somebody else, I think rather than figuring out what my rebuttal is going to be, I think you've got to actively listen to what they are trying to tell you. You know, don't argue, but get curious. To me, what emotional intelligence is, is about curiosity versus judgment. You know, why do they feel the way they feel? You know, and then after you're done kind of getting clarification on what you said that that was offensive, um, ask for clarification. Maybe some of the things uh, they describe some of your behaviors as uses different words or labels than you would use. You know, I I think that's the problem with words is words mean different things to different people. Let's just take a simple word like ASAP as soon as possible. Well, what does that mean to you? Right. Does that mean at the end of the day? Does that mean immediately? Does that mean like, what does that mean? So getting clear on what they, what they meant. Um, people experience different things and have different perceptions. So, you know, what did they see you say or do that made them feel what they're feeling? I think, as you said, Earl, you got to be open-minded and being, um, um, you know, to, to receive that feedback, right? Uh, pay attention to how you're feeling. You know, when that person said what they said about you, how were you feeling? Were you offended, but tried to calmly um, answer, respond? You know, are you feeling angry, irritated, surprised? What is that emotion telling you about you? I think notice our discomfort, right? Um, Manage your emotional triggers by being really open minded no matter what's said positive or negative there is learning we all have blind spots right i love uh, from the book um um difficult conversations by sheila heen and douglas stone and bruce Patton. they talk about good intentions does good intentions does not sanitize bad impact mm. right so you can have the best of intentions but that's not necessarily how it lands so be open and willing to hear an alternative point of view to your own And then like you did, I think the most important is thank the feedback giver. It took bravery to be on their part to tell you what there was, what was really going on underneath their surface, right? Honor that right or wrong. Their feedback shows you more about how they see you. And that can be incredibly powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I love it. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, I think that is the, the piece that most people miss is it's how you react to that situation. Um, you know, cause nobody's perfect, you know, I mean, we're all going to mess up and, and, and even, you know, even, even the most emotionally intelligent, there's a great quote. And I think we maybe talked about this the last time, but, but, um, I like to talk about from, from the opposite angle, just cause I like to, to kind of, uh, try to find interesting different ways of, of talking about these subjects, but I like to talk about emotional ignorance and, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson has a great, uh, he, he's talking about science. But he says, as the the areas of our understanding grow, so do the perimeters of our ignorance. And 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 I think it applies here to emotionally strong 
leadership, but, but to uh, definitely what we're talking about here is even as we get more emotionally intelligent, we have to understand that the more we know that there's going to be more areas of ignorance. That's all ignorance means for those who may hear that word and automatically say it me think it means, you know, oh, Earl just called me stupid or whatever. All ignorance means is lack of understanding. How about words mean different things to different people? Ignorance just means lack of understanding. You know, I'm a white Southern male Christian raised conservative. I'm never going to understand what it's like to be black, Hispanic. I'm never going to understand what it's like to be female, LGBTQ. Those are just areas of ignorance for me. I can try to understand them as much as possible by being curious, as Carolyn said. But there's always going to be areas of ignorance, which means there's always going to be areas where I'm at danger of saying or doing something that could be offensive. That's just the way it works, right? I think the more you realize how much you need to learn, the more you realize how much there still is to learn, right? Right. Um, You know, I think every year I try to take myself through my book and the process and kind of assess myself. And sometimes my levels of emotional intelligence goes down. That doesn't mean I'm becoming less emotionally intelligent. What that means is I'm probably becoming tougher on myself. As I learn more about the world, I realize how much there still is to learn. And so I think the whole point is emotions provide information, which can help us learn and grow. And so can triggers. And I think to me, my passion is giving people the confidence to not be so afraid of these things that we don't know about. And the only way, you know, we're going to know how to do better is by doing better, is, is by learning more. So I always say, once you know better, you do better, right? So I think it's asking questions, getting curious, finding out why people do what they do, why people think the way they think. How are they seeing something that you're, you may maybe not? You know, as I've said in the book, you are not the standard to which everything is judged. Just because you woke up this morning, you know, you know, for me, I woke up this morning with my dog licking my face. Um, you know, other people don't wake up that way. Um, and I need to know that because sometimes how you wake up affects how you show up to the office. And I think it's really important. And and again, you know, Earl, if we go back to what you're going through personally, um, at this time of year, you know, how is that impacting how you're showing up for positive or for, for negative? I think being aware, one of my clients once said this to me, and I, I, I try to tell this to all of my clients because I think it's a great practice. At the, at, uh, when he leaves his house on his garage door before he gets into his car, it says a sticky note. He posts a sticky note and it says, how do you plan to show up today? Mm. And I think that's a really good way of being is being aware right that's really what ei is it's about being an observer of yourself so uh, a couple weeks ago in my university class it was one of the last classes of the, the term and they had a big assignment to do and just before the class i got about three emails from three different students um saying you know their dog ate their homework or that they're sick and i mean i've been doing this for 25 years i can smell a liar when i see a liar And, um, and it really angered me because I thought to myself, do you think I'm stupid? (laughs) (laughs) Like I, I, I know you're, 
your dog didn't eat your homework. And I know you, you, you know, I just saw you yesterday and you were fine. And I find it very funny that all of a sudden the day of the assignment, you're sick. Right. So these are the things, but you know, of course I can't say that, but I uh, told them, you know, in order to get this, to get a mark, you have to present this assignment. And so when I walk into the class of the students that did show up, that were brave enough to do the assignment, I was so pissed and they could feel it. Like they could feel my energy that I was angry. And they're like, oh gosh, I don't want to get, you know, Carolyn's mad. And then I realized halfway through the class, I'm angry at the wrong people. Right. Those were the people that were brave enough to do the assignment, to show up and do the work. And so I apologized. I said, first of all, and I think that's, a, you know, again, just because I'm an expert in this does not mean I never let my emotions run amok. I'd say nine out of 10 times I'm in charge of my emotions, but that day I wasn't. And my emotions took over and I let it out on the class and I felt horrible. So halfway through the class, once I realized I, I was aware of it, I apologized to the class and said, you know what? Oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I am angry at the wrong people. I'm angry. I, I should not, you know, I apologize. And, and I changed my mood and I changed my attitude. And what was funny is it was the last day of class. And I mean, I teach university students, right? These are 20 year olds. Right. It's not like elementary that they leave the, an apple for the teacher. It was a Friday afternoon at 530 and they all stayed behind to hang out with me. And it just went to show like, you don't have to be perfect to be a leader, but you do need to be real. And when you yeah. make a mistake, own your mistake. And that's what I did. I owned my mistake. I apologized to them. I changed my behavior. Again, once you know better, you do better. So I think we're in this, this world, this lifetime, is that's all we have to do. We have a lifetime of learning. But we uh, need to have these conversations. We need to let people know how they are making, uh, you know, how we feel about their behaviors and communications. And then we also need to be in control of our emotions. You know, no one can make you feel anything. You choose to feel how you feel. Yes. It's a choice. Stoicism. Yes. I love it. Uh, and, and Carolyn, you, you said something there that, that I absolutely love because I think this is one of the, the hardest myths in leadership to, to kind of destroy is this, this idea that, when you're a leader and you're in a position of leadership, that you have to be perfect. You have to know everything. You have to have all the answers. And if you don't, you're weak and, and people are going to smell blood in the water and people are going to be gunning for your job and all this other good stuff. But you just, you just hit the nail on the head. No, like, like the way I put it is if, if I love you is the, are the three uh, strongest words in a personal relationship. I don't know, maybe the three strongest words in a professional relationship. Mm. Right. Because it's authentic. Nobody has all the answers. You know, mm -hmm. when, when you when you are vulnerable enough, to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Let's find out together. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's go find the answer. Mm -hmm. Or or I don't know. Do you know? Like mm -hmm. maybe you've mm -hmm. got the answer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you 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 build that authenticity. You build some relationship you know, bonding like you get the team involved in in. And always not and not always looking to you to have the answer or seeing you as this person on a pedestal type situation, which we've mm -hmm. built leadership up to be. And, and so I love that authenticity piece because that's what people really want. They want an authentic leader. They don't want 
this storybook Prince Charming or Princess uh, uh, on her on her white horse type of leader. They want an authentic, real leader that's not afraid to say, hey, I don't have all the answers. Maybe I'm going to screw this up. But you know what? Let's do this thing together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I. I think it's about, as you said, vulnerability and and admitting your mistakes and being honest and and just letting people know that you're not perfect. Pe- people don't follow people who are perfect. People follow who people who are relatable. And I think it's really about um, letting people know that you don't need to be stoic and unflappable and perfect. They, we all are a work in progress and a masterpiece at the same time. And since I started EI Experience in 2017, which is my leadership development company, I've trained over 30,000 leaders worldwide. And I will tell you, I have yet to meet a perfectly emotionally stable person. And so we're all a work in progress. We all are some things we're really strong in. It's like the gym. I always say we all have these muscles inside of us, these emotional muscles. Some of them are underutilized. Some of them are overutilized. I am low. Uh, My independence skill is low. Why? I have a very overprotective mother. So as -hmm. much as my dog uh, licked my face this morning, my mother made sure I was up this morning with the text, right? That's what I mean about overprotective, right? I'm 52 years old, Earl. I do not need a wake up call, but my mother feels like I do. Um, (laughs) However, that's where an area that I struggle with. So I didn't really learn how to build that muscle as as a kid because my mother did kind of everything for me. But then there are other muscles that I have that are overutilized. I'm very flexible. Uh, I over accommodate. Um, And that's not a good combination when you care too much about what people think, because you'll flip flop your ideas, you won't take a stand on something, you don't have a strong sense of purpose. That's my Achilles heel. But every leader has something that they need to work on. So whether it's they're not assertive enough, or whether it's that they're too assertive, and they're too direct, and they, they hurt people's feelings, whether it's they're not decisive enough, or whether it's they make impulsive decisions, you know, whether it's they're not they don't care about others or they care too much and they get enmeshed in people's stuff we're all on this continuum right Mm -hmm. and we need to figure out where we land and where is that sort of perfect spot and people always ask me like what's that sweet spot there isn't one it depends on your emotional makeup your default it depends on the people you're working with it depends on the context and the situation so there is no one size fits all But the first thing you can do, which is why I wrote the whole book, was to figure out what your emotional makeup is. What is your what are you good at? What are you not so good at? Um, And what are you too good at that there? You know, you're too much of something and it uh, an asset becomes a liability. And so once you determine that, then you know what is helping and hurting your leadership. Well, then you can do something about it. But the other thing is that I ask in the book is. Once you figured out where you think you are, now I want you to ask five other people because your self-perception is inevitably flawed. We all have blind spots, as I talked about earlier, and how you see yourself might not be how the world sees you. And so by figuring out how the world sees you and comparing that to how you see yourself, then let's get clarity on what you want to focus on. And then what the book does is we take we take the reader through, you know, what are the possibilities to work on this one area that you want to work on? What's going to get in your way of being um, uh, of you trying to work on your emotional intelligence skills? What's going to be your action plan? What are you going to do when you relapse? How are you going to get yourself back on track? Because unlike uh, or like changing all behaviors, change is hard. 
And it takes time and practice and repetition. And you're going to make mistakes two steps forward, one step back. And then once you have that action plan and a relapse plan, how are you going to stay committed? Do you need an accountability partner? I have inside my company, Natalie, and she's half my age. She's my business development manager, but she is the most independent millennial I know. And anytime I caring, I'm caring too much about what people think, or I'm worried or need validation. I, I pick up the phone and ask Natalie and guess what? She doesn't give me that validation. <laughs> she's a great advisor. Cause what she does is she, she tells me, what do I think? She gets me to be more self-directed. That's, we all need a Natalie in our life. And, and, and that's the kind of uh, competency advisor or accountability partner that you need. And those are kind of the steps I take people through in the book. And I encourage everyone because now that I know what my emotional makeup is and how it helps and hurts me in my life and in my business world, that's how I became the best leader that I can be. And I've never been happier. And that's ultimately the byproduct of emotional intelligence, your well, emotional well-being, which is your happiness, your satisfaction towards your life, your contentment. Do you enjoy the many aspects of your life? And I don't know about you, Earl, but I just want to be happy. Uh, I love it. I love it. Well, Carolyn, if you can believe it, we have blown through another almost 45 minutes here. And uh, I think we, we we're down to only maybe about 20 hours worth of conversation left. In uh, but uh, before we, we get out of here, um, is there anything we didn't get a chance to touch on today that you want to leave listeners with before we close out? You know, if I could tell everyone that's listening one thing, if you don't have the results that you um, are looking for, I think the answer is don't be afraid of your emotions. There's a gift inside all of them. They provide you a lot of insight. So start to pay attention to how you're feeling throughout the day. And then what is that feeling telling you about you? And what can that insight do to help you make more conscious, professional, respectful choices to be a kind person in the world? Because I don't know about you, Earl, but kind people are my kind of people. Mm, I love that. And I agree. Uh, I, I'm, I'm all about the happiness and kindness piece. Um, and, and on that note, talking about the emotionally strong leader, an inside out journey to transformational leadership. People want to grab a copy. They want to find out more about you, Carolyn, want to find out more about your company, how to work with you, uh, those sorts of things. Um, I know it made it in the show notes last time, but Go ahead and give us those information, uh, uh, that information again, and we'll make sure it gets in the show notes again for folks. So it's just a uh, link click away form. Perfect. Well, um, to get a hold of um, my me, it's at carolynstern.com. That's my website. To get uh, a copy of the book, it would be carolynstern.com slash book, and you would get a copy of The Emotionally Strong Leader. Um but if you're interested in corporate training, if you have a corporation that you're like, hey, we need some emotional intelligence training, our people aren't upskilled enough in this, they don't know how to tend to their emotions or their peoples, I would reach out to us on eiexperience.com. And that is our corporate training company where we offer training, coaching, retreats, uh, you name it, both group and private. And that's a really good way for your team to do this together so that you can stay accountable together and work on your emotional intelligence skills. Because like I said at the beginning, none of us have had this education in school or at home. We graduate you, we throw you into the office, and then you think that, you know, the, your employers think you know how to do all of this, but you don't, you've never learned how. So our programs teach you, give you the tools on how to enhance your EI and the confidence to use those tools. Mm. 
And and I'm just going to go ahead and just be very blunt about this. It's not uh, if it's you do need to reach out uh, to Carolyn for that training for your organization, because I can guarantee you that even if you've had training in the past, you haven't had enough uh, doing some of the things that I've done uh, in, in my work. I have seen the benefits of emotionally intelligent, psychologically safe organizations, and I've seen the downfalls of organizations that haven't invested enough time. Um, I'm not going to get into Carolyn's business on here. I don't know how much she charges for these things, but I know sometimes people see sticker shock and, uh, you know, think that maybe they can't afford it. I'm going to be the person that sits here and tells you, you can't afford not to invest in this type of training. The money you will spend in the future, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but sometime things will blow up in your face. If you don't spend the time investing in emotional intelligence training, will far outweigh the money you will spend today, I promise you. So, yes, reach out. On that note, Carolyn, I want to say thank you very much for being there, being a resource, and being an expert, self-proclaimed or otherwise, (laughs) in the field, writing the book, doing the work you're doing, being a return guest on this show, and just being an outstanding individual and guest on the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Earl. Um, And uh, I hope your listeners got a lot out of this session as well as our other episode. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast. Electric Cast.